Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome back to Money FM 89.3 Asian markets in focus today. Are Japanese equities worth another look? Does volatility need to be treated as an investment theme in and of itself? And how could that theme translate to your portfolio? Pictet Wealth Management, Pictame Wealth Management has released its 2023 investment outlook for the global economy and financial markets, as well as its top investment themes. The Swiss firm thinks that business outlooks are diverging for developed and developing economies in terms of growth. I'm Michelle Martin, and today we're taking a look at Pictay's latest wealth management house view. Hughes Rialan is Chief Investment Officer and Head of Discretionary Portfolio Management for Asia. Hughes, welcome to Money FM. Thank you, Michelle. Wonderful to speak with you. Can we start with an overview in the context of markets today? What are your views on developed markets versus emerging market stocks in terms of opportunities? So the main risk that we are seeing in terms of um, stock market at the moment is in the U.S. because the U.S. market is quite highly valued at the moment. And our scenario is for a recession to begin in the second half of this year, so Q3, Q4. Uh, it should be a rather shallow recession, but nonetheless recession, i.e. contraction of earnings as well. And we don't think the market is, is ready for that, is pricing this at all. So the slowdown has been quite visible, in, particularly in the manufacturing part of the economy, much less so on the services part. Uh, the slowdown on manufacturing is visible everywhere, not just in the U.S. It's visible in the U.S., it's visible in Europe, it's visible in China. Uh, so we are seeing that slowdown taking place everywhere. And more recently, we are also seeing services slowing down. Having said that, any, and part of Europe is actually coming out of a recession. So Germany was uh, really dragged the European Union into a recession, where it was more specifically a German issue uh, more recently. So this slowdown is taking place in the developed markets. Less so, obviously, in emerging markets, particularly in China, which is still in the reopening phase of its post-COVID rebound. Uh, so that's, um, that's working for China. We still expect a GDP growth of 55 in China this year, uh, meaning certainly no inflation, a significant rebound from last year, even though it is still uh, uh, clearly less of a growth than in the previous, say, decade for China. So China is slowing, slowing down as well, but certainly not on par with the recession scenario that we just experienced in Europe and that we expect in the US for the coming months. So interesting. So that much talked about soft lending you see panning out. Yes, so a soft lending indeed with certainly some risk. So in the US, we think that the Fed will hike one more time. So in the July meeting, most likely. Um, then probably we'll stay put and see what happens. Uh, so we think inflation will come down progressively, but remain higher than uh, the Fed's target of 2%. And because of that, uh, we think interest rates will, uh, at the Fed level, will remain higher for quite a bit of time. I, you know, that are very, still now, I mean, there's a significant portion of the market that still expect the Feds to cut this year. We don't yeah. think it is going to happen this year at all. Uh, almost no chance in our opinion for that. And uh, as for next year, we haven't put out our forecast yet, but we don't think the Fed is going to cut significantly. 
And that's in line as well with what the Fed is saying. So the market is not really in line with the Fed communication at the moment. But the reality is the Fed is telling us that they don't think they're going to cut. And if indeed, uh, you know, the shallow recession scenario pans out, that means unemployment should not necessarily dramatically move up. Inflation will not crash either. And it's quite likely that in this kind of circumstance, the, the Fed will remain cautious and keep interest rates um, significantly higher, I mean, very clearly, very significantly higher to what we've been used to over the last decade. So no return to zero interest rates policy anytime soon, if ever, actually. Now, speaking of inflation, we are seeing some signs of inflation rising here in Singapore. Are you concerned about inflation levels in Asia? And what does this mean for stocks? So we are going to um, live in a world not just this year, by the way, but I think over the last, we think about the, for the next decade, uh, we're going to be living in a world where inflation will be structurally higher than in the past. All the forces that brought inflation down are basically reversing. Uh, so we expect high volatility, shorter economic cycle, more instability, if you want, in the economic cycle as well. From, as a conclusion, if you want, a consequence uh, from uh, this um, higher inflation. And higher inflation in the world is also going to be driven by the change in demographics. Uh, you know, you saw that uh, you know the working age population and the work and the population is actually shrinking now in China, and it's not just in China; it's in Japan, it's in Europe. Uh, population growth is still growing in the U.S., but it's mainly due to immigration. So, a, a lot of changes taking place in a very significant part of the economy um, at the world level. And uh, so that, that's going to have a inf higher inflation level uh, as a consequence. Having said that, in the short term, we think inflation in China in particular is going to remain quite low. So if there is a risk, it might be a risk of uh, disinflation taking place in China for a while. That's um, part of the transition from an economy that was growing a lot based on infrastructure investment and property development as well. Uh, that recipe for growth worked really well and the country needed it. So that it, it's good that it happened, but it's pretty clear now that um, this is not gonna be the growth recipe of the future. And so a transition towards a new uh, structure, a new balance in the economy is required. Uh, we think it, we, it will be found. Uh, it's going to take a bit of time, and meanwhile, inflation is probably going to be um, lower as well than in the past. So uh, at the stock market level, uh, disinflation, we're not really talking about disinflation at the, at the world level, all right? I said that we expect inflation to be higher on average uh, over the next decade. But um, if we look at um, you know disinflation for the stock market, it usually is negative. Uh, while inflation is fairly positive. Why is disinflation negative? Because the, 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 the cost, I mean, the impact of financing is basically increasing with disinflation, and you cannot really increase your prices in this environment either. While in an inflationary environment, it is quite the opposite. Right? The cost of debt uh, in real terms of your debt is falling, and you can actually rise your prices. So that's, uh, that's a better way um, to manage your, your margins as well and to manage your cost of financing. So inflation is positive and disinflation is, is, is actually quite toxic for a, a stock market point of view. Uh, so for now, uh, inflation is falling down 
But on average, with the next decade, inflation should be significantly higher than in the past. And that's why we expect as well interest rates to remain higher for longer than in the past. Speaking of rising prices and demographics, core CPI in Japan hitting its worst level since 1981. Soaring prices of fish, for example, impacting the eating patterns of the elderly in Japan pretty hard. Pictay's uh, Wealth Management House View for June, titled Dissonant Voices, highlighted Japanese equities as a possible bright spot, uh, along with U.S. tech, I must say. So with inflation also rising in Japan, Hughes, do you think Japan's central bank could intervene in the market to prop up the yen and what could this mean for Japanese equities? So it's unlikely that the BOJ is going to intervene in order to prop up the yen. I mean, first of all, let's not forget that Japan is finally emerging out of deflation, uh, which was fairly difficult, a difficult period for the Japanese economy. Uh, they had this uh, very aggressive monetary policy of keeping interest rates negative and having this yield curve control policy uh, on a scale that really, and, and duration, that was unseen elsewhere in the world. Uh, so the point of that very aggressive monetary policy was actually to bring inflation up. And uh, so it's unlikely that they will reverse uh, very quickly in order to kill that nascent uh, inflation. They wanted it, they needed it. They are finally getting the first hints of it. Yes, of course it has its impact, but at the same time, that's what they wanted and they are unlikely to, to fight against it you know, right now. So is the, the BOJ going to uh, prop up the, the yen? Certainly not on purpose. What they said very recently is that they, I mean, like last week, right? So they said that they still wanted to uh, stay on the easing side of monetary policy, but they did not necessarily require yield curve control in order to achieve that. So I think it's it's a sign that they want to remain accommodative, but they can they, they would consider doing something that they have not announced yet. So it's difficult to predict exactly what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. Uh, but they have said that they would take you know up to eighteen months to review this yield curve control policy. It's quite likely that at some point in time it will be relaxed and then relaxed again and then abandoned. Uh, for now, uh, they are sticking to it, but they are giving quite clear hints that even if they uh, abandon progressively or in one shot this yield curve control policy, it doesn't mean that they want to become restrictive. Uh, they explicitly said that they want to remain accommodative. And so, yes, the yen could move up if this uh, YCC yield curve control is abandoned. But at the same time, um, they will they will remain very accommodative. And that should be um, you know, a support, it depends on how you want to see it, defined support, but at least should not prop up the yen too aggressively, which is certainly not what the BOJ wants to achieve at this stage. We are seeing greater foreign interest in the Japanese market. Price to earnings ratio have come down substantially. What should investors listening in keep front of mind about Japanese markets? So one of our uh, main ideas for this year and going forward, I mean, this is something we've been promoting forever, but actually we are more convinced than ever about its active management. So it's not like, you know, in a world where growth is slowing, where the economic cycle is going to be shorter, where instability and uncertainty is going to, are going to be rising, that you should invest passively. So I think there is a clear case to be made even more today than in the past for, um, you know, active management. And that applies to Japan just like to any other places. So. Um, 
that's uh, that's how we would we would look at things. You know, case for Japan is about improved governance. So uh, you know, the regulations, uh, the Tokyo Stock Exchange, the pressure from the regulators, the pressure from the activists. All of that is about improved governance. And improved governance uh, doesn't happen for all companies at the same time. So you, 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 that's also another illustration of why you should be going into Japan on an active management basis. I mm -hmm. identify the first companies that are going to be formed uh, and then move on to the next one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there are a lot of drivers that could align actually that, are, that give some encouraging sign of an aligning at the moment in Japan uh, in terms of improved governance, uh, looking for book value of more than one, uh, increasing share buybacks, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that is definitely pointing in the right direction. Um, Japan could as well be beneficiary for a part at least uh, uh, of uh, some of the supply chain moving out of China and relocating to other countries, whether in the region or elsewhere. Um, so there are, and, and then Japan finally getting out of inflation, like, like we discussed earlier, is another good sign that you know the economy is turning for the best, I think, in Japan at the moment. And so, yes, there are some good reasons to be going into Japan, mm -hmm. uh, but on an active uh, basis, I would say. So it's not even a question of a, of a, sec of a country. It's not a question of a sector. Mm -hmm. It's a question of a you know, really bottom-up approach. If you've just joined us, he's Hughes Rielan, Chief Investment Officer and Head of Discretionary Portfolio Management for Asia for Pictay Wealth Management. You mentioned China. I want to pick up on that point, Hugh. There has been a lot of concerns about the Chinese economy. Youth unemployment is high. But just recently at the opening of the World Economic Forum annual meeting, China's Premier Li Keqiang struck an upbeat tone about the world's uh, second largest economy, announcing that growth in the current quarter will be higher than it was in the first three months of the year. What is your take on the Chinese market? So I think this, um, you know, this uh, presentation that the World Economic Forum and other uh, communications coming from the Chinese government, that they are uh, very clearly they want the economy to restart after the COVID restrictions and slow down, induce slowdown. So they want the economy to do better. Uh, they look at what the country needs. And um, earlier in the year, there, uh, there were the issue this uh, package of stimulus for the economy. And then they stepped back a bit because the first quarter numbers were particularly strong. Now they see uh, that the numbers are coming in weaker than expected and they are uh, reissuing new packages to stimulate uh, the economy. So all of that is, is a pretty consistent picture, I would say, of a government that um, wants the economy to restart, they want the economy to grow, uh, mm -hmm. and they are, but they don't want to create any bubbles. So they want to be, it's a very piecemeal approach to stimulated growth in the country, like um, you know, electric vehicles, for instance. Yeah, but we haven't seen the massive packages to invest into infrastructure or the property like we, we would have seen in the past. So that's clearly an indication of uh, what it is that the, the government wants to achieve, growth, how they want to achieve it, and, and the way they're going to be looking for that piecemeal approach and be, be, be very selective uh, in which part of the economy they actually stimulate and which part of the economy they don't. Uh, so support of the real estate sector came earlier this year. Uh, now we're talking about EVs. Uh, you know, mid-July, we have the Politburo meeting. We'll see if they come up with, with um, new stimulus packages. 
meanwhile, uh, rates have been cut. Uh, so all of that is, is really a very consistent picture, I would say, of a government that is aware of the situation, wants to have a stronger uh, growth and stronger economy, and but wants as well to avoid a blanket stimulus. So I think this is very indicative of what the government is going to do, not just this year, uh, but going forward, I'd be very, be very selective in the way they want to create growth in the country. All right. Speaking of selectivity, one of the key investment trends that your report highlighted was volatility. And you say volatility needs to be treated as an investment class in its own right. How, why is this and how could this theme translate to portfolios? So, um, thank you. The, the idea is to say that, uh, you know, volatility spikes during corrections. Uh, so that uh, as we do expect more um, instability in the economy, more uncertainty in the economy coming really from the higher rates. Uh, so less stimulus, no more QE, no more quantitative easing. All of that is going to have an impact on the economy. And by the way, that's on purpose. Right? It's not an accident. It's a feature that is uh, you know, looked after by the cell uh, banks in the world. Uh, so it's going to be, we're going to see that. And um, when the settled banks are going to induce these slowdowns because they think yeah, the economy is getting too hard or inflation is too high or there is this or that pressure uh, appearing in the economy at the, the wages level or at the unemployment level and they want to slow down things, uh, we should expect uh, the, the market to, to, to acknowledge these changes in policies and, and to correct and therefore volatility to spike. So that's when you can, if you anticipate enough, uh, that's where you can actually use that um, volatility to buy protection on your portfolio and, and mitigate the impact of these uh, and the slowdowns induced by the settle banks. On the other hand, uh, when the volatility has trended higher, what you can actually do as well is use this high volatility to create structured products that will enhance the yields of uh, you know, your portfolio. So when it's low, and too low and getting into a slowdown of the economy, you can actually buy volatility in order to get some protection on your portfolio after the shock. And, and when the on average volatility is higher, you can use this higher volatility than in the past as well to enhance the yield of your portfolio. So that's two ways, uh, you know, one defensive, one uh, less defensive, more, de more on the attack if you want. It's not really an attack, but you see what I mean. Two ways of using volatility uh, more actively and more proactively than in the past. Let's talk about what you're seeing in terms of valuations and therefore assets worth considering. Which sectors are you positive on? So at the sector level, it's a bit of a difficult question at the moment because, like I said, we are expecting a recession to take place. Typically, uh, you in these kind of circumstances, you have some sectors that outperform but not really deliver significantly uh, positive performance. Uh, so you want to remain defensive, so non-cyclicals, avoid cyclicals at a time where the cycle is slowing down. We think we are late cycle. I think the economy is giving every possible sign that we are late cycle. But the, the difficult part, of course, is to time the end of this late cycle because late cycles can last quite a bit. There is not a, a defined term. Uh, for a late cycle to expire, to finish, if you want. Mm. Uh, so avoid uh, the, the cyclical part of the economy, nonetheless, stay defensive. Um, I guess on the technology side, it is possible 
that some of the names, again, going back to active management, really more than country or sector allocation, but it is possible that you can find some names that will keep growing, particularly in the context of a shallow recession. Um, so that that's ways to, to look at things. But overall, I would say we are underweight equity risk uh, because of this this late cycle position and, um, and and the expected recession taking place in the US, which typically impacts negatively all, all sectors, basically. So it's difficult to say by this one, it's gonna be a good deal for the next uh, three months, if in three months we are indeed in recession. It seems the world was talking about AI trends and expecting AI to be this big macro trend. Um, to what extent do you think generative AI has had an impact on the broader tech sector so far? Oh, so, so far on the tech sector, in the market, it has had a very clear and, and massive impact uh, everywhere, basically, on the, but particularly through the semiconductors and a bit on the um, some specific companies. I mean, I'm not allowed to name uh, stocks. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go there. And uh, but uh, yes, we it it is clearly the sector that has uh, or the theme that has impacted the most of the stock market this year. Um, the it's it's at the IP so intellectual property level today that we are seeing that. Hence the impact on the semiconductors. The application in the broader economy of this artificial intelligence is not clear yet, I would say. Chat GPT is one thing, but uh, how is it going to impact uh, uh, you know, the, the way we work and um, artificial intelligence is actually a, a much, likely a much broader thing than just Chat GPT. So, so this is just the beginning of a new page in this tech story. Uh, uh, we, we can see that something is happening. It's difficult exactly to understand who is going to win, who is going to lose, and in which ways and when. Uh, but this is certainly something that we, we are very interested in. We study very closely, and uh, we certainly expect as well to see a significant impact of these new technologies to, to the economy of the next decade. Today, it's really a very concentrated story, um, almost only on semiconductors. Um, but that's not what intelligence, artificial intelligence is going to be about uh, in the next 10 years. Interesting. What do you see its greatest impact possibly being? Well, um, as I said, we don't know exactly which form it is going to take, but if we, you, you could see impacts on productivity, you could see hopefully impacts on maybe finding on new, new solutions to problems that we haven't been able to, to solve so far. So maybe we're going to find improvements in terms of uh, sustainability, climate change as well. It's kind of a, almost intractable issues that we are dealing with at the moment. Mm. In terms of uh, profitability, maybe it could help us fight uh, against the economic slowdown coming from the demographics, a, team, a point that we, we, you know, we, do, we discussed earlier. Uh, these are certainly uh, areas where um, uh, the, the, uh, an impact of artificial intelligence is possible and would definitely be welcome. But again, it's more concept, it's more ideas at this stage, it's not solutions yet. And so we need to see the solution of, uh, shaping up uh, before we can have a definitive conclusion on that. Help us understand uh, your stance in terms of this economic cycle. Where are you underweight? So we are underweight equities, uh, we are overweight uh, treasuries, and, uh, and we like a lot uh, US investment grades as well. 
because we think the recession is going to be shallow, uh, so no risk to uh, the economics of uh, solid uh, companies. So if you stay at the, the investment grade level, you shouldn't be suffering any defaults or any risk of defaults. Uh, the high yield segment is going to be a lot more impacted. And again, it's 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 the situation today is very unusual in the sense that we are coming out of about 10 to 15 years of zero interest rates policies. So everybody has been able to finance themselves for the last 10 years at very attractive cost, very, very low cost of financing. Um, we know that corporates took advantage of that, i.e. they refinanced themselves ahead of any changes taking place. But at some point in time, you have to refinance your debt materials and you have to refinance. And this is going to have an impact, very significant impact on many companies. Um, the question is how um, fast does it trickle down to the balance sheets of the, and, and the income statements of these companies? And that's a bit difficult, but if you look at, for instance, something that I think is quite telling, uh, the number, the proportion of companies within the Russell 2000, so mid caps in the US, 32% uh, of the companies in, the, in this index are actually losing money at the moment as we speak. And that's coming out of a period, again, of a very long period where uh, the cost of financing was particularly uh, cheap and particularly uh, attractive. Uh, this is over, right? So it, the, the next cost of financing is going to be significantly over, uh, higher. And so if today, coming out of the best of the, the possible world, 32%, um, one third of these companies are losing money, uh, how is that picture going to look like in, you know, 18 months, 24 months from now. Uh, so we should expect the, um, the, the the default cycle to pick up significantly from, from where we are beginning, of course, with the triple C's and these kind of companies, i.e. The, the most fragile companies. But uh, where is going to the, the, the difficulties stop and who is going to be the, the first? You know, managing to avoid if you want these difficulties is, is not clear yet. And it's going to take a bit of time because, like I was saying, um, these companies took advantage of low rates to finance themselves for a while, but the maturity wall is coming. Uh, most of the companies typically start refinancing not on the day uh, their debt matures, be it private or uh, public debt, and they refinance themselves something like a year ahead. Typically, that's the window um, for refinancing at corporate levels. And so we are getting into that window. If you look at the, the maturity wall, I the uh, the amounts of debt that matures we can see that uh, you know significant 2023 was fairly low 2024 is a significant pickup and 2025 is actually quite high so in 23 we should be seeing the the, the refinancing or beginning refinancing of what matures in 24 uh, so so the impact is is, is going to be progressively being felt but we're not there yet clearly and 24 is going to be the difficult time, i.e. we're going to be in recession or just coming out of recession. And, um, and with the need to refinance a significant amount of cash and uh, at significantly higher levels as well. So credit spreads during recessions widen. So that's not going to be lowering uh, the cost of financing for these companies. So, so we are just getting into the difficult part of um, you know the story for these companies that will need to refinance themselves so that's why we want to avoid and we are totally out it's not that we are underweight we are out of high yield in the u.s at the moment because of that uh so you know are you also hard. selective on on global reits because of that 
your underweight yeah. on reads is that right yes global reads is part of that story and um and and the commercial real estate story in the us is particularly dire at the moment you know that uh in new york 18 percent of um the office buildings are vacant in downtown San Francisco. It's 30% 3-0 the offices that are empty. Uh, so this is, again, the, the moment where you really get, get into trouble is when you need to refinance. So if you don't get, and we're seeing as well, first buildings that are basically handed back to uh, the people who lended the money to the lenders uh, by uh, you know the, the owners of the assets. Uh, so. So this is this is not going to morph into GFC, so the Great Financial Crisis of 2007 again. We are certainly not uh, of that opinion. But uh, but here it's a bit like uh, the cost of refinancing, uh, which the environment is the same for the commercial real estate as well. Of course, uh, for that uh, for every everyone in the economy. But the commercial real estate is facing particularly difficulties of that at that time. So it's the change in work habits post-COVID, uh, you know, working from home, uh, that is uh, deeply changing the work habits uh, everywhere. And uh, so that it, it's it's a bit like AI, if you want. It's a new world. It's a new way to work. And this is going to have um, consequences that we will need to adjust to. Uh, so AI is going to be most likely uh, for the for the best. Uh, working from home is also bringing some benefits, uh, but it also has some uh, cost. And um, so it's it's you know, we are certainly not at the end of this, with ramifications as well on the lenders, uh, uh, the regional banks in the U.S., private lenders as well. Uh, we don't know exactly where this debt, uh, where the problematic part of the debt is, is uh, held. Um, but we know that we, we, we're not done with, this, uh, with these difficulties. Tremendous insight. A lot of inflection points then to think about. Thank you so much, Hughes Rielan, for being with us here on Money FM. You're very welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. He's Chief Investment Officer and Head of Discretionary Portfolio Management for Asia for Pictay Wealth Management. Here with us on Money FM 89.3, I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.